That's What She Said, Episode 14, The Return. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! <laughs> Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero Hey guys, Matt here. Um... I don't know what happened with this file. For some reason, it, there's a bunch of clicks and pops and a lot of bad noise going on kind of throughout the whole thing. And, you know, I really apologize for that. I hope it's still listenable. I think we had some good stuff in the show, and it's kind of too bad that it's marred by technical difficulties, as it were. Um, I think it might have something to do with my microphone that I was using. I think it's now dead, so I'm going to have to uh, see what I can do for next week. But uh, thanks for listening, and hopefully you can still enjoy the episode. I got you on my mind Just like all the time Pedal down, nowhere to go I just came from your place Where you said don't be late When I showed up you weren't there I got involved And welcome to episode 14 of That's What She Said a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your Human Resources Coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the 14th episode of Season 3, entitled The Return, which aired Thursday, January 18, 2007. With Dwight gone, who will fill that oddly-shaped hole in our hearts? Why, Oscar, of course, and not just because he's gay. We also appreciate his Mexicanity. Lemon yate all around. And he's gotten his wish for more FaceTime with Michael, but is that a good thing? Will Halpert finally step up to the plate and come clean to Karen? There's one thing Mr. Filippelli forgot about the Scranton branch. Nothing brings two star-crossed lovers together like a mind-destroying prank. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why did you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler, as always, is our junior sales associate, Ian Castleberry. Ian, how you doing? Great, Matthew. Hello. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, the return, part two of a uh, two-part episode, I guess. Unfortunately, you know, this would have been a good candidate for an hour-long, again, another one of those hour-long episodes, I think. Super like size, I agree. Benny Hanna Christmas, where, because uh, these really are two pieces of the same storyline. They really could fit together. Um, now, I guess we can start off by, uh, by saying our usual thing. What did you think about the episode? Well, you know, I don't think it was the funniest episode this season, certainly. But, uh, it was enjoyable. I mean, I, I've been pretty surprised by how plot-driven the last three episodes have been. How much is really happening? Right, well, this whole season, we talked about that before, the whole season's been very plot-driven. Yeah. But, I know that uh, you have something that you've been itching to get off your chest, so maybe we should start with that. Well, you know what? I loved, like I said, as people who listened to the episode last week know, I really loved Traveling Salesman. This is one of my first episodes in a while that I just, right off the bat, I loved, loved, loved that episode. And this, uh, The Return, is written by the same three people, uh, Mike Schur and uh, the other two guys that I can't remember off the top of my no. head. We will find that out in a second. I'm sorry. It's a good I'm thing we don't work here. for SAG. I know. Um, 
Or I'm sorry, the uh, writer's <laughs> WAG. Or uh, some uh, acronym. Whatever. Um, anyway, you know what? Cause I, I felt like this episode was... It just... It really suffered from what I ranted against last week about this overwriting the episode, where the episode that aired, I felt, was very bare bones. It just didn't have the necessary material that was really needed to tell the story in a good, in, you know, in a thorough, interesting way. Um, the producer's cut, again, we have two different cuts of the episode, one that's 21 minutes and one that's like 30 minutes long. And, you know, I don't know. It's just starting to drive me crazy that I have to go and do this. Like, I watched the episode and then to actually get the full effect to understand the storyline, I have to go and actually rewatch it on, like, a little four-inch box on my computer screen, you know? You have to watch that Chase commercial four times. Yeah, and the dollar menu-nare. That, that's really, really getting me as well. But, you know, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Because I really don't understand how it's, you know, so much of the episode was lost, I think, in the 21-minute cut. It just it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, and the, the online version was so much more interesting. Well, I agree that the online version, the producer's cut, was much more interesting, but I guess I just don't feel the same as you. I don't feel like we lost that much. I mean, come on. The Oscar stuff, in the 20-minute cut of the episode, the Oscar stuff was non-existent. It made no sense. Based on right. the, the promo saying like he has mixed feelings about being there, none of that stuff was even in it. None of that, like that, the the stuff about, um, you know, I'm hoping to hold out for a home theater system or whatever, and all his kind of like angst and and anger towards the people in the office. Um, that thing at the end with Andy, that's how can that even not be in the episode? Well, I agree. The thing about Andy should have been there. That's just I, in fact, unforgivable. I was expecting, I was expecting something like that. Usually they run like one quick clip between you know right as they go to the next show. Right after the commercial or whatever, and yeah. I agree. I mean, that was I think that's unforgivable that they didn't say anything about about that. I think that. that's kind of a strong word. Well, I know, but it just I just can't believe it because you get these two different cuts and they're constrained by this and they overwrite the episodes. But if you can't really get the full effect of the episode unless you watch this online thing that's eight minutes longer, I don't know. It seems like you're doing you... something wrong. I guess I don't feel like that I missed that much from the Oscar stuff being gone. But I, I mean, it, the whole thing with, like, you know, go ahead and say that, you know, I, I'd like a home theater system. That actually made him seem kind of vindictive and not <laughs> as uh, um, honest. That's not the right word, but honest about what he was dealing with, you know, well, as opposed to just making it work for him. I mean, you got his hesitation, his ambivalence about coming back during Benny Hanna Christmas. He walked into the door, he saw something, he walked out. It was like two seconds, you know? Yeah, but I don't I don't think that was enough to sell what they wanted to sell with the episode, with the premise of the episode there that But did they really did they really give you that with the extra stuff? I think so. I think it made it a lot more clear that whole point of uh I just don't think that there was any the whole Oscar point of view thing was really lost from the episode. I I cuz I Part of the episode, I think, is that they want they they started it out obviously with the name, I'm trying to play on that that Oscar's returning, mm-hmm. and I think that it's kind of set that up that that he you know he's the focus and and they had him talk about his feelings and there's a lot of 
kind of ambivalence and stuff at the beginning of the episode. And then by the end of the episode, I think why it was funnier is that Oscar basically ends up getting pushed aside. Like, nobody cares that he's back anymore. See, I, and I feel like... Dwight. I feel like all of that was in the shorter cut. Well, I, I mean, you got... you got a hint all of it. His, all the feelings that he had about being there, or about coming back, was seen in the party planning scene. You know, like, he just wanted to blend back in. You know, if you want to have a party, that's fine. But Michael, you know, wants to make it this big thing... You know, and it's still kind of skirting the issue, well, we're not going to celebrate, you know, you being gay, but then we'll celebrate, you know, you being Mexican, which just goes back to, you know, drawing attention to something that Oscar doesn't feel like should be drawn attention to. Oh, I need a big glass of lemonade. But you get the, you still get the tension that he had with Michael. Yeah, you would have gotten a little more in that parking scene, parking lot scene. I don't, I don't know. I, it felt like the Notes version to me that, it didn't set it up as well as it should have. And I guess that, um, you know, we can argue about that stuff, I guess, but I, I really... Oh, like, we already are. I'm glad you're recording. The Andy thing is what really irked me. Well, I agree. That should have been in there. And I even agree that the stuff with Angela, I like that stuff. I wish that had been in there, too. You um, know, I like, can't even remember what was in and what was not in anymore. Yeah, it's it's difficult to remember. No, is that um, all this stuff where she's like in the conference room? You mean with Michael? No, the, the part scene of the... between the scene between her and Pam. Mostly, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was 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 not on the televised episode. And you know what? Uh, this goes into something else that I want to talk about in this episode is the fact that um, I I know this is gonna like again this is gonna blow people's minds, but. To me right now, the most interesting and most realistic and the, the couple I'm actually rooting for is now Dwight and Angela. Mm-hmm. And if you would have told me that a year ago that that couple would, would, would be more than a joke, I would have not believed you. But yeah. I can't even... Like, Jim and Pam acting like idiots and then, like, laughing because they broke Andy's brain. That was... I don't know. That, that, that wasn't, like, cute to me. That was just sort of like, God, you really f***ed him up. Uh, it was. But I don't know. That goes. That goes to what we've been saying before about you know when is it legitimate or when is it valid for them to pick on Dwight when he's being an ass and Andy was being an ass. Yeah, true. But his his obviously he was pumped up being a super freak. I think for the point of the episode, and I think that they did it on purpose to try to make it feel like that. But it, what was it was deserved when you're saying that uh, Jim and Pam were just being goofy. I mean, but how is that different from other stuff that they've done before or used to do? You know what? I don't know how to explain this because I am seriously... I don't know. I just... I don't know what if it's me or what has happened since season two. But it's just like... it's Like you said, it's the same old thing. And the episode is called The Return. And one of the things that you can take off of that is that, okay, it's a return to the status yeah. quo of the say, office. I was isn't that kind of the point that it was kind of the same... They I know fell that, into familiar roles, and I know that and some I think that's people part love of the it, reason. That's part of the reason I think he feels comfortable with Pam. I mean, it's just it's not work. I know, but like it's it like Karen. But it's like a child. They're like children. But that's the point. That's the way. That's the way they are. I I I don't know. I I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking like, okay, yeah. On the one side, you have a guy who's basically sacrificing himself. Who you know quit his job to sacrifice his, for his girlfriend's feelings. You have this guy who's, like, being a man. The guy who's being ridiculed as a joke is the guy who I want to be like now, which mm-hmm. 
is wrong to me for some reason. And the same thing again, you said, you know, like Angela's the one who's growing. She's the one that's changing. She goes, you know, Oscar, I'm sorry for my behavior, you know. They're the ones that are actually growing and actually seem like decent human beings. And then you have the giggle twins over there, like torturing somebody, which I know is what people want. And, and the, the jammers were quite gooey over this episode. But god damn, I don't know. To me, it just seems like, okay, we're back to, back to being these like immature little goofballs that See, no me, one else to wants. To me, it sounds, uh, man, please point this out if I'm being wrong here. But it seems to me like, you know, earlier in the season, you know, when we first started doing this podcast, you were complaining about the fact that things weren't as they used to be. <laughs> well. And now that they are returning, no pun intended, to, to that dynamic, you have a problem with it. I, I do. I don't know what it is. I don't know what to tell you. I is guess it because, is it that you don't see, like you wish there was some growth in their characters as there seems to be with, with Dwight and Angela? I think that's part of it. I I think that just like the same old, same old, just it just doesn't seem right anymore after all the stuff that's transpired. Um, like we said, you know, different job. She's like in a supervisory position. They've both been through a lot of stuff, and maybe this is just the only way they know of to reconnect right now. But it was pointed out to Jim how childish she was being. By yeah, the way. exactly. I mean, that's the thing when you have freaking like Ryan the Temp telling you off. <laughs> that you're being an idiot. I mean, I, you got to stop and take a break for a second there and think about yourself. You know, I think also it's interesting that you say that because I kind of felt like the whole office was basically waiting for Jim to do something to Andy. It seemed like to me. Really? It just felt that way. Like you know, Stanley didn't react when he heard that noise in the ceiling. Phyllis, you know, like, instantly shut her drawer when Andy was reaching for it. It seemed like they were all sort of in well, on it, whether indirectly in on it. Maybe. Because I'll, I'll give you that, that the, the, the writers of the episode, and the, like I said, my theory as far as why Andy all of a sudden went from zero to batshit in two episodes is because I think that this is what they wanted us to feel that we wanted to get rid of them. You know? Yeah, I, I think that's... I kind of think that's bad writing, actually. Uh, yeah. Well, that's kind of strong, maybe. But <laughs> How dare uh, you? Yeah, really. <laughs> Who the hell are you? Um, but they just made him supremely unlikable. Like we said last week, they made him downright evil, which makes it really easy to root for him getting booted out of there. And what's weird, though, is even last week, last week at least he had a purpose. He was trying to get rid of Dwight. And then this week, it was just like, he wasn't even doing anything. He was just freaking nuts. He was, yeah. like, insane. Seriously. That's what I went, when I, when I was live blogging the episode on, on the, the blog page, when I was watching, I was like, is he off his lithium or what? What the hell? He's, like, fishing for Jim and, like, doing all these really insane things and stalking Michael. <laughs> and basically just, like, getting in his business, as Michael said. Maybe it's the, you know, maybe what happened with Dwight what he accomplished, if that's what you want to call it, with Dwight, is something that he'd never experienced before. Like, you know, maybe Josh never went for that stuff. So for him to have that victory maybe just made him feel entitled and he just, you know, went off the deep end. He didn't have anyone to edit him or check him, you know? <sighs> I suppose, but I think, and I'm going to surely draw a lot of fire for this, but I think I agree with you that I think it's more bad writing 
than anything. Yeah, it just and seemed like, okay, we don't know where else to go with this Andy thing, so let's just make him a real big dick. And now, I read on, uh, I looked. At, I was looking at Office Tally the, the other day, and, and they linked to, apparently Mindy Kaling keeps a blog about things that she buys, and she rarely <laughs> talks about the Office on it at all, but apparently this one particular week, uh, she linked to this blog entry saying that she purchased the episodes, these last two episodes, off iTunes, and they were written, as we said, and I don't have the names in front of me, but they're written by, this episode in last week's was written by the same three guys, right. uh, Mike Schur, who we have as Cousin Moe's, and then uh, these other two guys, uh, we'll get, try to get the names later, but they, they've played in the deleted scenes last season, like the two long guys from uh, Vance Refrigeration. The, the one guy brings in the giant teddy bear, for oh right, and uh, there's they a lot of their scenes were cut out, and they they were actually like the ones who left the joint in the parking lot during the uh, the uh, the big drug episode from last season as well, and you know those three guys wrote in, and apparently Mindy said that they had to write both episodes within like a week. Hmm. So I mean, what the thing is like, and, and you know we can go back to the archives, but we I at least gushed over traveling salesman last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was a perfect episode. I mean, I, I really loved it. This episode, not as much, I got to say. And I think that part of the reason why I didn't like it as much was just the total ridiculousness of Andy's behavior, I think. Uh, it, I think it could have played out a lot differently, a lot more believably, because he was never... I mean, for 12 episodes, he was not batshit crazy. Well, they did hint at his potential for... Uh having an anger management problem, what was it, like, in the first couple episodes of the season where Jim right. put his calculator in jello and he flew off the deep end. So, I mean, they, they did hint at this. I don't think they just pulled this out of thin air. Well, they, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even talking about that as far as... I mean, that, yeah, that was precedented. That, that was set in the first episode, I think, of the season. And, yeah, okay, that makes sense that he's not someone to prank. And I guess it's... Because the thing that got me, I guess, is that he's this guy who is... He's so smooth and calculating from, like, the first 12 episodes. I mean, he has this plan how he's going to win over Michael, and he perfectly wins over Michael. Um, but he's really smooth. Even during Benihana Christmas, I mean, he was working Michael in a smooth way. I think it was smooth enough. It's smooth enough to fool Michael, and that's... You don't have to be that smooth to fool Michael. I was going to say, is that but, sand much? <laughs> no, it's not really sand much. But, I mean, the thing is that he just... He came across as someone who was a little devious and was working this plan, and he was being successful. And it just it, all of a sudden, just like like I said, from zero to you know zero to batshit in two episodes. Yeah, I mean it's hard to say because the episode doesn't give me or give us any reason to think this, but I guess that's my theory: is that this has never worked for him as well as it just did. With Dwight, and then he didn't know what so, to do with it. After that. He didn't know what to do with it, so he just took <laughs> everything, you know, to eleven, so to speak. Uh, again, the episode gives you nothing to draw that conclusion, really. I know, and the thing is, again, like part of why that last scene, I think, is just God. It was so essential to have that in there, just to see that resolution of what happened next. I agree, because right after the episode, what did everybody say? Oh, Andy has to be fired, right? Yeah, and I think that we could talk about this later, but, I mean, from the tone of the clip, it sounds to me like that there's room left for him to come back. Oh, definitely, yeah. 
Because he says something like ten weeks, and and then I'll be back. Yeah, it was like, almost Rambo. like a, <laughs> yeah, it was almost like a scene of the villain still alive at the end of the movie or something, you know, <laughs> like his hand rising out of the water after the plane crash. Well, he was looking pretty freaking menacing when he was like looming in. They had a shot of him like looming in the background of the party with his holding up his hand and like giving everybody the evil eye as he's walking around in the background. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to back off just a little bit. You know, I, I I feel sort of bad now saying that I thought it was sort of bad writing, even though I do sort of think it is kind of <laughs> bad writing that they, um, you know, that they made Andy change so drastically. On the other hand, like we said, with the short time frame and the fact that I've loved last week's episode and, and, and loved a lot of these guys' work, to be fair. And, again, we'll give them a shout-out, I guess, since we messed up their names before. But uh, aside from Mike Schur, these last two episodes were written by uh, Gene Stupnitsky, or Stupnitsky and Lee Eisenberg, are the three writers. And, you know, again, not perfect. Possibly but, guilty of rushed writing. Yeah, so I think that's probably more more accurate. But let's go ahead and get on into our episode discussion and uh, we we sort of went kind of far afield there in that uh, get it on. <laughs> well i mean we went a little further in that last few you know last segment than we normally do but uh you know we're, we're, we're pretty shaking it up pretty fired up i guess about about this episode so let's go ahead and get started and um well uh, what's the big plot line how does it start off i have left dunder mifflin after many record-breaking years and i'm officially on the job market and it's very exciting I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. There's nothing on my horizon except everything. Everything is on my horizon. I got this job to make some money while I continue my employment search. And, uh, it's fine for the time being. Oops. Breaks over. Now, how much money is Staples putting into the show? No I gotta kidding. say. How much product placement the shredder what do they even have commercials this should just be the office brought to you by yeah exactly and then they just play the whole actual producer's cut without having to break it up okay dwight gets fired or quits from his job and we have him going off and and this is the thing i want to bring this up again too ian because even in the episode michael says and, and everyone in everyone in dunder mifflin seems to really miss dwight and not on a personal level, they miss him because he had a lot of clients. And and again, we've got that whole nebulous thing about how he was the best mm-hmm. top salesman or whatever. I mean, to me, this is so incongruous because he goes to these other job interviews and he comes across as like a terrible employee that nobody wants to hire and everyone looks at funny. I'm a jackhammer, <laughs> a merciless jackhammer. And I mean... And then he goes to to work at Staples, and he pretty much sucks working at Staples. So I don't know where's the great salesman. I, I sort of was thinking that maybe we'd see him even sort of be successful there. And you you do sort of at the beginning because his boss says something like, uh, hey, "You sell those two printers, good job." But then for the rest of the episode, he's just like a freak standing there. Well, one maybe he is uh, capable of the Jedi mind trick. We've never. <laughs> Well, he did just dress up as the Dark Sith Lord for Halloween last year. uh, Maybe he is also a practitioner of the (laughs) wear-down. Yeah, uh, Andy's favorite technique, that could be the case. I don't know, I guess maybe maybe he's just like the world's most specific employee. His skills don't translate to anywhere else. Or maybe it's just that, I mean, do we know, 
Well, we don't know how long he's actually been at Dunder Mifflin, do we? Well, it, again, I mean, it's it's sort of up in the air. And we last last episode we got that that picture of young Jim and young Dwight. So they've been there for quite a so while. So let's just at say, least. let's just say for the sake of argument, he's been there a long time. He's built these clients over the years. So maybe you know, maybe he doesn't really have. He has the clients. He doesn't have to necessarily sell to them anymore, or he's just used to doing things a certain way. Now he just kind of has to reinvent himself out on the job market. And I think it happens with almost any, you know, if you've been in a job for a long time, and all of a sudden you've got to start going to interviews. I mean, it's, it's a whole new, you have to... True, you have but to I mean, you figure, but you, you know, you, if you're supposedly the, like the top salesman in the region or whatever, you know, yeah, you think that that would true. be some kind of translatable skill that would some go across the platforms, skill. you know? Yeah. And that's, that's why I've always questioned that plot twist that they made with, by calling him the best salesman, because he just, it, it's so opposite of what we normally see. And that we saw him in gym last week, really do the old double team to perfection, yeah. but, but maybe, you know, maybe he just works really hard. Like I was thinking about this before we started recording actually, and that, okay, what, what makes Dwight, what, the way he kisses Michael's ass different from the way Andy does it. And, and, you know, we know that. I mean, well, Dwight's not quite as stalkerish, maybe. <laughs> but in the end, it's the payoff, right? Well, Dwight may be annoying. Dwight may be conniving in his own way. But at the end of the day, I can't believe I just said that, <laughs> he, gets the, he gets the job done yeah. really well. He That's does true. the work. And it is, like you said, uh, we, we got that last week as well, where he says, you know, Here's my cell phone, my home phone, my pager, my other pager. I don't take holidays and I, you know, all these other things. I don't do anything. You can always reach me at every, you know, all the time. So I guess maybe the thing that got me about that clip is, again, like I said, I'm starting to actually like Dwight more than the other characters on the show. Yeah, you had to feel bad for the guy watching him yeah, progressively. And he starts, uh, yeah, he starts out so, crushed. so yeah. excited. And then by the end, you know, he kind of gives you that little weak thumbs up. When he comes out, and it just looks so Poor sad guy. and pathetic. <laughs> but, you know, uh, so Dwight's gone, and like I said, part of the the return in the title of the episode is this guy. Oscar is back, edition by edition. So we are going to have a big party today to welcome him back, and hopefully that will lift everyone's spirits. And everyone's spirits do need lifting. Now, this is one of the things that we got in the, the producer's cut that wasn't in the actual aired show, we got a lot more introduction and uh, FaceTime between Michael and Oscar. And we have that running gag through the whole episode where Michael, for some reason, has his convertible top down in January. And it won't go back up. And so his snow, you know, the snow is falling down and piling up in his car. Uh, but, but anyway, so a big party to welcome back Oscar. Andy in there, you know, starting to make no sense whatsoever with any of the things that he says. And you know when you're when you're making so little sense that even Michael Scott is aware of it, you're kind of in trouble. Yeah, you get a sense of his uh, testiness. And I think that really did tee off from last week, though. Do you think that the fact that when Michael realized that he was actually such a terrible salesman was that what turned him around? Do you think? I think so, definitely. It was certainly going that way until, like we said, until Andy found the one button he could push. And that just right. seemed to supersede everything right at that moment. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of like what we talked about, though, before when you were saying what was the difference between Dwight and Andy, uh, is that, you know, 
he wants someone to kiss his butt because he loves him, not because he wants to get ahead. But Dwight did try to get ahead, though, this season. We already sort of saw that. So we can't say that he's not above the same kind of thing, I guess. But uh, even so... You know, another difference might be that Dwight, if he sees something's not working, will change up. Whereas Andy just, as we said, you know, the wear down <laughs> just tries to, just keeps going, you know, that like this, relent, he just becomes relentless. Yeah, I just, uh, man, I'm still just baffled by how horribly that went this whole episode. <laughs> like, you think he could take the hit, man? You know, maybe just like he said, he got too excited about about it actually working or something, but. God, if you would only kind taken that chill trip. pill, I'm telling you. Michael goes down to uh, to talk to Oscar, and then this is, like I said, we, we haven't seen Oscar in, since episode number one, so 13 episodes have gone by with no Oscar. And, you know, if you, I, I hate to nitpick because I always chuckle when people do this, but like when he just walked right up to Jim, I'm like, okay, so he missed the whole merger. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd think he'd be a little more surprised. Oh, yeah, maybe he, just, maybe he just doesn't care. You know, I yeah, that's that's true. I suppose uh, I didn't really think about that, but maybe somebody filled him in uh, on the way. I don't know how he could have possibly known <laughs> that because I don't know who he would have talked to. But well, um, Oscar, you know, Oscar comes back, and this is part of the the promo that we got where they're talking about how Oscar was really ambivalent about coming back to the office, and we didn't really get a whole lot of that in the aired version. But um, this scene from the producers cut really kind of helps. Helps to uh, elucidate why he might be reticent to come back. As you know, Oscar is a gay man who is also my friend, and he has been on a little bit of a sabbatical recently. Having lots of fun, no doubt. What does that mean? Oh, check out the new car. How many pesos that set you back? It's a company lease from the settlement after you kissed me. Well, that's how this company takes care of our employees. When we settle, we settle high. I have an idea. Rainbow stickers all over the back windshield. Shout it from the mountaintops, my friend. Part of me wants the people in this office to have learned their lesson and just shut the hell up. And part of me thinks, you know what? Keep talking. I'd really love a home theater. You know, I know you said before that you thought that was kind of crass. Uh, yeah, I think that makes Oscar look kind of vindictive. Like, he's not really, like, like you know, okay, he's going to be opportunistic then. And, and you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, you know, make it work for you. But yeah, yeah I think that does kind of make Oscar look bad. Well, this is my thing with Oscar in this episode is that we haven't seen him for so long. I found him really kind of to be almost petty and and looking to pick a fight in this episode in a certain way. Like he came across just like everything, every single thing that Michael said in his like dim way. You know, Oscar was just really on edge about like. Yeah. Michael says, "I bet you had lots of fun," and he's like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> you know what? He, he, you know things ended so badly, really, before he went off on his vacation. So he's probably had a lot of time to think about this, and he has no idea what to expect going back. So you know, I, I'm sure he expects Angela to be the way she's always been, and expects Michael to be inappropriate. So maybe he is just kind of loaded for bear, so to speak. I guess. But don't, I mean, don't you think after three months that maybe he like come to grips with things and just well, you be think more he'd be a little more relaxed. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was but, thinking. But again, yeah, you know, maybe he didn't want to. He doesn't want to go back. He's ambivalent about going back to. But you know, he just got this sweet settlement from them, so he can't just quit. <laughs> yeah, and always hoping for that uh, home theater. The home I don't know, theater. and and that's the thing. You know, it's kind of weird because again, like you said, part of the return, uh, return to the status quo is now we've gotten rid of all the Stanford people except for two, 
we have Oscar come back, and Oscar is sort of in the same way. You know, he hasn't really changed at all since the last episode. Um, you know, sort of the same exasperated feeling, and, and like I said, trying to looking for a fight. You know, he's just up in arms about everything that happens. I mean, Michael again. You know, he's just so clueless, and he's trying to be friendly. You know, and he's not being mean, or he's not trying to be a jerk on purpose. No, it's you know. like we've often said about Michael. He means well. Yeah, I mean, you know, put a bunch of big rainbow stickers on the back there. He's, you know. He's <laughs> Why? Because that's what gay people do. Trying to be friends with that. Exactly, you know, from what he's seen on TV and movies and what he's heard on the internet. I don't know. Well, anyway. But that just goes, I mean, Oscar just wants to blend in. He doesn't want a big deal made about the fact that that he's gay. He just wants things, hopefully, to be the way they were before, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I suppose so, and uh, we'll get back into that a little bit later. But now, here is the central sort of plot line for this episode, uh, and it kicks off like this. Is that you singing? All four parts. Side note, I'd just like to say I'm thrilled to be working directly beneath you. I feel I have a lot to learn from you, even though you're younger and have less experience. Here's to the future. Andy and the tuna. Andy and the tuna. I'm Mr. White. Congratulations, universe. You win. That's probably my favorite line from the episode. Oh, great line. Yeah, hilarious. Of course, the look on Jim's face sells it. Exactly. And as we said before, you know what? I'm sorry, but I I think that's kind of (laughs) cool. You know, it's an annoying ringtone, but I mean, it's sort of cool that somebody would do that. I mean, and put all this effort into it and, and kind of make it sound kind of yeah, cool. I don't know. He's clearly proud of it, and, and he, with you know, with good reason. He but should be proud of it. I guess. Where does he should be? But where does the mo- where does the motivation come? I mean, really, why is he? I mean, he's kissing Jim's ass to try and uh, overtake him. You know, he knows he can't uh, take the same tactic to get rid of Dwight because Jim's you know. Really good at his job and exactly with Michael or whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. I that's, guess, but I don't know that. <laughs> we're trying to talk about. It. We're trying to say before, like you said, with these pranks, there there has to be some kind of justification for the you know for them to do these things. Otherwise, we don't really get it. We kind of feel for the victim in some ways. Right. Well, you know. Okay. Yeah. Does, does he deserve having a prank pulled on him because he has an annoying ringtone? No, probably not. But. <laughs> he should have a prank played on him for not apparently not programming his phone to go to voicemail when it's not picked up. <laughs> I would say that this is payback for the Dwight thing. And if it would have been payback for the Dwight thing, I could actually forgive it. But I really don't think that there was that undertone in there that much. I think it was more like Jim just was annoyed yeah. with Andy I mean, and his maybe, stupid ring. Yeah, on, on some level it's payback for Dwight. Yeah, but you're right. I don't think that's where Jim's coming from on this. And I sort of wish it was because... I could really, you know, then I could get behind it. And really yeah, I, I wish they had gone that way, too. Find it a little more acceptable, I guess. And, you know, Andy, after his crazy behavior the last two episodes, I guess he sort of deserves some of this. And, and like he said, the writers really ratcheted it up in this episode. They made him really insane. Did you notice how he calls Ryan now Big Turkey? <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but... Uh, Apparently, he had Ryan. The, you know, and he, and he settled right into Dwight's desk, yeah. likely before the body was even cold. <laughs> Seat was still warm. And surely. you know, the whole thing with uh, that stupid fishing and all those things that he pulls—just 
they're so annoying that we, of course, feel justified then in getting revenge. And, you know, Jim, again, feels the exact same way. So, candy ain't in rare form today. Yeah, you should not encourage him. Encourage him? I'm the victim. Okay, he's fishing for me. We gotta do something. Look, I've got like 15 new clients that I've inherited from Dwight, and each file is password protected with a different mythical creature, so... I'm sorry. I can't. What? Party pooper. Hey, Ryan. What? Do you want to pull a prank on Andy? Not right now, but ask me again 10 years ago. I liked you better as the temp. <sighs> me too. In your head, in your head. Would you like to pull a prank on Andy? Um, I'm kind of in the middle. Yes, please. Okay, good. Uh, I, and I'll grant you that that cranberry song is possibly one of the most annoying things ever. Can I, can I out say loud. something though that I, I find it hard to believe? I, I know for the purposes of this episode, it had to work differently, but I have never worked in an office where somebody wouldn't just walk up to Andy and tell him to shut the f- up. <laughs> yeah, I guess. And again, that's part of the thing. So instead of just telling him to be quiet, yeah, I mean, they, I understand it from Michael. Okay, why he, you know, he wants everyone to like him, so he's not going to be. But this goes back to what I was saying about how I think The Office, everyone at Dunder Mifflin, I think, is sort of expecting Jim to do something. Or, you know what, though, this is the other thing, is that no one at The Office cares about it that well, much. Well, that could be, too. And yeah, this Because that's so... the thing that I got from this, is that, you know, again, what I was talking about as far as how, like, everyone else in The Office seems to be more grown up, and Jim still seems like this little kid. Yeah. You know, he goes to he goes to Karen, and you know she's over her head with stuff and and working, and so he like I mean he freaking calls her a name, calls her a party pooper because she won't pull a prank, and then he asks Ryan, and that's like again probably one of my other favorite lines from yeah, the episode. He just sh- he shuts him down, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, he again ten years ago. Out, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, he is being childish. And that's what I don't. Part of the reason why I'm not that excited about the whole Jim and Pam reunion. Is like I said before, I mean, again, the only reason that they hook up is because they're the only two people childish enough to do this in the office. And that's supposed to be a good thing, I guess. We're supposed to sit back and think, wow, that's they are meant to be together because they're both shirking their job and <laughs> acting well, like little kids. I am, I'm going to stick with my theory. But I think Stanley, when he heard something in the ceiling, he knew, I think he knew something was up. Yeah, but that's Stanley, and, man. And, Nothing and Phillips, him. you know, <laughs> w- push that drawer shut when Andy's looking for his cell phone later on. So I think, I, I kind of feel like they, they expect Jim to do something, because he always has with Dwight. <laughs> yeah, I I suppose, but still. Maybe, and maybe it's like what Angela says, and we'll play that clip a little later, where Angela's sort of like, you know, I'm not as daring as you. Or I don't take all these, you know, <laughs> risks and things like you do, Pam. Maybe, maybe no one else has the cojones to stand up and and do it. But I don't know. I still, and like I said, man, I I know this is gonna probably lose us about a million subscribers. But do it, I, Jim and Pam. I don't know. I'm not feeling it. I'm not that excited about the way that things are going. I really wish, I really wish there'd be some kind of growth. And change in these characters, but okay, uh, that's I will. What it comes down to, right? Because I mean, I would argue that you are getting 
what you have professed to want. Well, I've gotten what I thought I wanted, Ian, and I found out the great irony is that it's not what I wanted at all. And three writers are throwing up their <laughs> their papers and laptops right now. How can we please these men? Now, this next clip, um, i got to say, this was in the producer's cut, and it's not really that apropos of anything uh, in, in the main part of the episode, but I just found it to be one of the most hilarious lines of the show. Hey, where's Dwight? You didn't hear? Decapitated. Whole big thing. We had a funeral for a bird. I'm pretty sure none of that's real. You're not real, man. <laughs> You're not real, man. I, I, that worked on so many levels for me. I don't know, like, Creed's so clueless that he's, you know, and, and we get the summary of what happened during grief counseling, uh-huh. you know, for Ed Truck. <laughs> and it's just like exactly what happened in the episode. And Jim, of course, wasn't there. And so I guess he doesn't know. And, and it just figures it's more of Creed's crazy BS talk. But, uh, it could man, be on the ganja. I haven't seen Creed get so heated in, in quite a while. So, God, gotta love the Creed. You know, unfortunately, while you gotta love Creed, I don't know about this next one. Love that Andy, right? Solid fellow. Seems smart enough. Likes me a lot. Too much. Like a crazy person a little. Not super crazy, just... Just something about him that creeps me out. I can't really explain it. He's always up in my business, which is a bonics or being in my face and annoying the bejesus out of me. I don't understand how someone can have so little self-awareness. So, uh, as Alanis might say, isn't it ironic? Don't you think? <laughs> A little too ironic, Ian? Good for me, I guess, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, of course, Michael, you know, is always up in everybody else's business. Andy, I guess you could say Andy's sort of like Michael Scott gone horribly, horribly wronger. <laughs> Than he already is, I guess. He's Michael Scott without the heart. Exactly, and he's Michael Scott, as you said, turned up to 11. He's all over the place, butting into conversations, um, hanging around with people that don't want him to be hanging around. And Michael, of course, is lost in the, and doesn't get the connection. This is the other thing, though, I love this line as well, that, as we said, Michael slowly starts to realize that Andy is really wrong there's something going on. You know, he, like, stalks Michael and follows him to the bathroom. And I just love that scene, like, we just, you know, we heard that clip before. Where he's just, like, hiding behind his door. <laughs> and he peeks around the corner. Didn't you expect Andy to be right there when he peeked around? Oh, man. I, I, you know what? I, I suppose he could just, like, lock his door or something. But I'm surprised he doesn't, actually. I guess he wants to be... <laughs> he wants people to come and talk to him, but just not Andy, I guess. Right. Even though he's done that plenty of times before locked himself in his office oh man and, and you know like i said you know you know you're really in trouble when even michael is aware of how messed up you are who's that sportscaster that bit that lady marv something and he is like marv something great sportscaster big weirdo creep yes yes indeed he is just like marv albert yeah big weirdo he creep presumably bites Women's asses. While wearing like, their underwear, I guess. Yes. Yeah, you know what? Like I said, I just that clip, again, just shows how Michael is just so sick of him. I don't think Michael's ever, like, hated anyone as much as he hates Andy at this point. Certainly, well, Toby, but for completely different reasons. That's true. And you know what this thing is, though? This is I, I'm trying to think about this because Michael still kind of... 
guardedly talks well about him. And I think that part of it has to do with, well, we'll play a clip coming up later on, but you know, part of it is the fact that he doesn't understand why he doesn't like Andy. Yeah, he should like Andy. Like, well, like you said, we're going to play it later. But yeah, I mean, he he seems like he, you know, like he says, he's a smart enough fellow, you know, he's a nice guy, you know, all these things, like he doesn't understand why they don't get along. It's seemingly what Michael's always wanted. Exactly. Someone who wants to hang out with him all the time, who considers him a best friend, you know, who enjoys his company. And this is coming from a guy who's like the loneliest guy in the world that goes to the uh, the improv class where no one wants him and, you know, has like no friends whatsoever except for Todd Packer. Andy must just give off that aroma of insincerity, you know? I know. Even horrible. Michael. <laughs> exactly. And that's, like I said, that's, that's pretty bad. Now, this is another scene that we got uh, in the producer's cut that we didn't get in the air version, and I think this is a very, actually a very powerful scene, and this is one of the things, like I said, why I really started to like Dwight and Angela a lot more. Is everything okay? No. I miss him. Dwight? No. John Denver. Okay. It's a good talk. Wait, I'm sorry. He's gone because of me. I don't know. I would be upset if people knew about us. And, and so he didn't have an alibi for Michael. I denied him. And I still think there's a way you can explain it to Michael. I am not like you. Walking around in your provocative outfits, saying whatever thought pops in your head. Yeah, that's me. Thank you. This was helpful. And you know what the key thing is in there? And I don't know if you got this or not, but especially coming from Angela, why is she so upset and why does she like make you know, break down and, and make peace with Oscar and all these different things. I, it's right in the middle of that clip. She says, I denied him, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm just a crackpot, but to me that sounds like a, a biblical reference going back to Peter. I told you I haven't rented that DVD. Like that, <laughs> so. well, Every time you make a reference, it just goes right over I'm my probably head. probably messing it up, but, um, yeah. but that's I'm, what came I'm, across I'm, to me, you know. Season one is on my Netflix queue. So. She's, you know, she says, I, I denied him. She denied Dwight. She didn't stand up for Dwight, let him take the fall for her. And this is eating her up, like I said, especially because she's, you know, a very religious individual herself, as we've seen from the last two seasons. So that uh, that was a really powerful little couple of words in there. Maybe no, no that was else. a really good scene. Of all the scenes, of all the scenes and plot lines that were cut out for the broadcast version, the Angela stuff um, is what I hated to see go. However, again, I guess I will say, especially after having listened to that scene again, that it certainly adds something, but I'm not so sure you're missing out on anything by not having it. I mean, you still get what happened. I mean, you know, we see her go to Michael. Okay, yeah, we we don't see that she went to Pam, but we already know that Pam knows about Angela and Dwight from right. the week before. Well, I think this is, and again, this is sort of, why Jim and Pam are sort of spinning their wheels, but Angela and Dwight and and and, and that relationship's really changing because you know Angela is is changing as a person. She's becoming much softer. You know, mm-hmm. she's not the one-dimensional, you know, stuck-up kind of boogeyman character from the last season and a half. Um, you know, Dwight has Boogie come. Woman. Well, pardon me. Dwight's become this sort of like chivalrous guy. I mean, these characters are actually softening. We're we're not you know, hating these people anymore. They're not the straw villains that they used to be in the original series. And I think that, you know, the Pam and Angela friendship that's kind of grown up in the last two episodes 
that's someone for her to confide in, I guess, that she's finally breaking down and admitting that Pam knows about it and that that's someone she can talk to. And, and, and she needs that. And again, it's a good, good interaction, good, good scene and sorely missed, unfortunately. You know, unfortunately, the, 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 the pranks keep up and Jim and Pam keep dialing Andy's cell phone incessantly, just over and over again. And finally, he's had enough. What's going on? What are you talking about? Where's my freaking phone? You know what? Maybe it's in the ceiling. You know what? Maybe you're in the ceiling. Okay. I don't trust you, Phyllis. And I'm also sorry that a lot of people here, for some reason, think it's funny to steal someone's personal property and hide it from them. Here's a little news flash. It's not funny. In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny. That was an overreaction. So have you ever punched a wall? Uh, no. No. Uh, no. <laughs> I haven't either, uh, but uh, no. I, I, I always that hear was, a few people that do that. <laughs> that was painful. I, mean, I don't think I've seen a meltdown like that since you found out there was another Office podcast. <laughs> oh, zing! Oh, man. <laughs> wow. I didn't punch anybody, that though. Was, that, no, that's true, no walls but that was... were harmed in the uh, making of that. <laughs> man, how long did it take you to think that one up? I've been sitting on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the gaycation line, I guess. Uh, I thought of that two, two seconds, seconds after that. <laughs> two seconds after Andy punched that wall. Oh, great. Oh, man. But So Andy has his meltdown, and he even he realizes that he, he had a meltdown and tries to play it off right away. Like, I'm going to the break room. Anybody need anything? Yeah, I don't know. It's just all falling apart for him in a matter of seconds. You know, he's been... He's been rejected by Michael, right? Um, you know, and, and and Jim, of course, you know, seizing the opportunity to just keep picking at him, does it. Yeah, that brass ring is kind of, he tried so hard to get there, and now that he's got it, he just can't hold on to it. He doesn't know what to do, and unfortunately, he's going to have a tragic, tragic end. And, you know, the thing is, at this point, everyone sort of realizes, uh, you know, uh, they're kind of in trouble here, and Angela after talking to Pam, kind of gets up the courage to go and talk to Michael. Why would Dwight do that for you? I think I know why. Because Dwight would do that for anyone here. Because Dwight loves this company. That's why. Do you think that anyone else out there would have driven to corporate for you? None of them. Especially not Andy. And again, I love that line. Too. For some reason, just like when she just said, you know, none of them would have done that for me. I don't know. I felt a little, little Dwangela tingle there. I gotta say. Yeah, that was a. Uh, <laughs> it speaks to Dwight's uh, nobility that he's shown the last few weeks. Exactly, and I, I like the little jab that she throws in there at the end. Yeah, while well, Andy's in the background frantically looking for his phone. <laughs> Michael, um, you know, he continues to kind of realize that he's really made a bad mistake, and now he's... Of course, Angela was going to go in there and, and kind of come clean with their relationship, but since Michael is so stupid... Right, still, Michael's already in his own blanks. It's not that, you know, he and Angela have a thing. It's just that Dwight would do that for anyone. <laughs> so of course, he wouldn't. Exactly. <laughs> and as we said, you know, Michael finally... 
he's sitting in the break room, and again, this is a scene that was cut from the aired version, and I actually like this scene. I know that you had a different opinion of it, and we can talk about that after we take a listen to it, but Michael sitting in the break room, really just, he doesn't know what to do with himself, he's really depressed, and he turns to Jim for advice. What do you think of Andy? Because on paper, Andy and I should be best buds. Andy's a yes man. Not all the time. Sometimes I'll say I don't like something. He says he doesn't like it either. Right. He'll always agree with whatever he's saying. He did the same thing with Josh in Stanford. If he did that with Josh, he could be doing that with me. I know what it's like to have your butt kissed, literally. And it's, it's terrible. And it better not be what Andy is doing. And I just want to say that, that whole belabored story about his mother kissing his butt was just, like, really awkward. That was, that was painful. It wasn't yeah. really that funny, and it was really kind of a labored, <laughs> a labored explanation for how Michael got kissed on his butt sometime in his well, life. Steve Carell's look of uh, disgust pulls it off for me. I, I don't know. I In any case. But, you know, the, the point is there, again, that Michael is... He doesn't understand, and he finally kind of comes to understand why he's so annoyed by Andy. And what really gets him again is sort of, I think, that rivalry with Josh. That yeah. um, it would be okay. Michael, I think, would be okay with it if he was just doing it to Michael and hadn't done it to anyone else. But the fact that he'd sucked up to Josh as well uh, yeah. means that it's just a scam, and he doesn't really like him. Doesn't really like him. But I, I still feel like. Um one thing that bothers me about that scene is that having not seen it, you're under the impression that Michael has figured this out, is on to Andy, and has finally decided to stand up to him. But after you see this scene, it, it, it almost it, it makes it seem like he might not have completely figured it out unless Jim had said something. Right. So you're just, you, basically for you, you're saying that Michael seems dumber with this scene in there. Yeah. That he just doesn't get it by himself. Yeah credit yeah well i don't know i again i i think i like the scene how it played out it also makes michael seem like his usual attention whoring self he's just sitting there <laughs> and then he sees jim coming in and he puts his head down and yeah the whole, like, no i don't, don't want to talk about it <laughs> well old things die hard i guess and since we're returning to the old status quo we have to get michael back to acting like oh, an uh, idiot now really, import- <laughs> that's the title this is a thing, uh, again, this is the point of no return then for Michael where he really just loses it after Jim's speech and he just, he cannot take it anymore. Listen, I forgot to tell you the plan for this Saturday. You, me, bar, beers, buzzed, wings, shots, drunk, waitresses, hot, football, Cornell Hofstra, slaughter, then quick nap at my place and we hit the tin sound. No, I don't want to do any of that. Duh. Which is why I was joking about doing it. Just stop. Stop. Just stop doing it. You're going to drive me crazy. Fine, I'll just go sit at my desk and be quiet. Sorry I annoyed you with my friendship. It actually sounds like a good Saturday to me. So, Ian, I don't know. We better rest up and take a short nap at your place before we hit the tiz out. (laughs) I do like wings. Yeah, who does not like wings, I gotta say. But, again, this is going back to what I just said. Okay, you get the impression... If you had not seen that earlier deleted scene with Jim and Michael, you would say, okay, finally Michael is standing up to him and saying, no, I don't want to do any of that. But really what he's doing is testing what Jim said. He's, he's deliberately saying, no, I don't want to do that, to see if Andy agrees with him, which he does. And then 
Michael feels he has license to finally say, you know, stop it, you're driving me crazy. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the extended version myself, but I can see what you're talking about there. Michael, now that he's realized finally that he's made a huge mistake, he has to try to figure out what to do about it. And again, talk about irony. I made a mess. I forced Dwight to resign prematurely, and I replaced him with Andy, who loves this place so much he punched a hole in it. It's a mess, a big mess. And it's weird, because this is not like me. I am usually the guy they call in to clean up the mess. I guess today, I am going to have to call in myself. (laughs) Just like the guy from Pulp Fiction, right? That's Michael Scott's next screenplay, you know? <laughs> Threat Level Midnight, codename The Cleaner. <laughs> Michael Scarn, FBI. I'm telling you, he, you know, again, that just, that's just so dripping in irony there that I'm the one who fixes the messes. Oh, we can just sit back and say, oh, Michael, we have 28 episodes that have shown otherwise, I gotta say. You know, and he realized he made a mistake and he climbs into his convertible that's full of like two feet of snow. And again, props to the uh, the set decorators for generating this blizzard in the middle of downtown Los Angeles. So, yeah, a foot of fake snow. Right nice. Now last there, last yeah. week there were some uh, babies whining about how the green was too green in the in the January Scranton <laughs> weather. <laughs> so they had yeah. to come and really stick it to you, I guess. There's your legit East Coast weather right there. <laughs> so he he drives over drives over to Staples to go. Get his man. Up where he it belongs. takes a big man to admit his mistake, and I am that big man. Angela from accounting told me what you did. If you were willing to do something like that for some random coworker, then clearly I misjudged you from the beginning, and I apologize. Accepted. How's this place treating you? <laughs> my boss isn't funny. <laughs> well, I don't get to wear my ties. No, I'm sure. So. So maybe you should come back. You should come back, please. I don't want to do your laundry anymore. Can you talk about that? So, and and I, a couple of people picked up on this, and and I sort of noticed it subliminally as I was watching it. But um, in the background, on the Muzak, they are playing Joe Cocker's "Up Where We Belong," which, as you may or may not know, is the climactic scene from the film "An Officer and a Gentleman," where. Richard Gere goes back to get his working mama out of the factory or whatever and, and, and brings her back. And I, I thought that was a little over the top to, to have that equated with Dwight and Michael. But uh, Well, I missed it both times, so uh, <laughs> I, I can't let you do what you just did because that song's a duet, and you just completely cut Jennifer Warren's out of that. Well, I Give know. her credit. I know. I'm sorry. It's, it's a nice, lovely song. I would... I would agree. Uh, I don't really know. And it, it, Last week was really a week. It was really a strange week, dude, because we had Up Where We Belong, and then we had Man Love on Scrubs as well. So it was a week for Man Love last week, I'm telling you. If only uh, Michael had carried Dwight out <laughs> across the threshold. Like to, yeah, and then, like, his co-workers would be clapping. <laughs> and then Dwight could have t- tossed his shirt as he's in Michael's arms, you know. Ah, uh, that's maybe oh, in his man. dreams. It's like a smi- some kind of Smithers fantasy. See what happens when you rush through writing these episodes. You don't think I'm moments like that. Ah, uh, okay, enough. What can, oh, one thing um, about the exchange between Michael and Dwight. Um, did it seem to you, you probably caught this, that 
Dwight had this look of disappointment on his face when he realizes that Angela didn't completely come clean about about everything. He didn't say any. She didn't say anything about their relationship. He seemed kind of frightened or something when he thought he's like, "Oh, she told you," and and then he well, seemed relieved, I guess, that Michael was again so clueless that he didn't really pick up on it. I don't and know. I'd be curious what other people think, but I interpreted it as sort of a. Again, disappointment that he still has to keep up this charade. This charade, which just cost him his job. Well, I just love the fact that there's like 10 people that work in that office, and, and he has to call her Angela from accounting. As if he might get confused <laughs> with the other Angela in the office. <laughs> well, hail the conquering hero as Michael brings Dwight back home again. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present Mr. Dwight Fruit. Hey! Welcome back. Thank you. Okay, Dwight, you can let go of her hand. I'm gonna break it. Not bad, huh? You did this for me. Guilty. Guilty. And that's the thing. Like we said before, I don't think that this whole theme kind of comes across as well without those Oscar scenes at the beginning. Because basically by the end... No one cares about Oscar anymore. I mean, Angela's talking to him, and she's like, oh, are you enjoying your party? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I actually am enjoying it. And as soon as Dwight walks in, she just, like, moves yeah, away. No, but we, we got that in the broadcast version. And then in the well, version, a little we bit. But get, but we also get Michael handing the broomstick to Oscar thinks it's going to him. True, but it didn't it didn't really set it. I, I don't know. I think that it, to have those scenes at the beginning really kind of helped send it home a little bit more. And I agree that, yeah, you get the gist of it by that, uh, what was included in the broadcast version. But still, you know, it's sort of this reversal because it kind of starts out like it's going to be this big Oscar episode and then I guess Oscar got what he wanted, after all, to be ignored by everyone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's before we get on to the moment that all of the Jim and Pam fans have been drooling over, let's uh, play a few more random clips from the party. Oh, where did you get this stuff? Security. Which aisle? I don't remember. Well, draw me a map, Mama. Pam, I will take mine, and then you no, will No, I will not. Does this remind you of your childhood right now? It reminds me a lot of the three amigos with Steve Martin and Chevy Chase. Wow. Thank you. Wow, that's... Thanks so much. So, I don't know. My brother, Michael takes it as a compliment. <laughs> that's great. Wow. He's so touched. <laughs> you know, for him, I'm sure it's on his like DVD shelf there, one of his all-time classics. Uh, so Michael loves that. We have a couple other things in there. The um, the maraca scene, and we kind of yes. touched on that before. And this is where the failure of the podcast format, <laughs> audio-wise. I know to see really <laughs> lets us down. To see Phyllis uh, shaking those maracas. Bob Vance, you know, Vance Refrigeration is a very lucky man. Oh, and you know what though? That's a thing. It's like I said. Okay. You might find that inappropriate, okay, fine, but Pam is so humorless when it comes to that kind of thing, and I guess maybe you can say it's like sexual harassment or something, and it's not funny, and she's put up with it, and she's sick of it, but I don't know, and Phyllis just goes along with it, and Michael... Well, she throws it back in his face, Michael's too, reaction, know, what of course, you asked for. he's just like, oh my god. Careful what you wish for. I know, and did not expect the Phyllis shake there. That saucy little minx. <clears throat> And another Creed line, and another another Meredith line that's cut, cut from the show. 
Poor Meredith. I know, Kate Flannery. I don't know what she's doing over there, man. I, I don't think she's had a line in months that actually has made it to broadcast. Hopefully on the Season 3 DVD, they give her a whole disc. Okay, well, enough screwing around. Let's get to the big moment that the Jam fans were waiting for. I wish I had a drum roll or something to play here. But anyway, let's take a listen. Oh my god. What's happening to Drywall? I think we broke his brain. <laughs> it's not freaking funny. Hey. Do you still have feelings for her? Yes. Alright, and I know some people posted on the blog page that they were like cheering and yelling and, and screaming Congratulations, and stuff. Congratulations, Team Pam. I you know. <laughs> God, I hope that's not just the end of it, though. I hope not either. I don't think it will be. Because that, I think that, again, would be an example of bad writing. Rushed writing, sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, for everyone who said last week, and we got a lot of comments on the blog page about this, that Jim wasn't being truthful, well, there you go. I know, but unfortunately Albert now he's finally truthful after he's already signed her the lease to move into the apartment and well, everything else. But that, but if if he'd fessed up in the coffee shop, that would have been the case as well. Well, I know, but that's what I was talking about, though, is that he was kind of going along with this to a point now where Kara's kind of stuck. If yeah, if, but I think he just uh, I think he just got tired of it, you know. Just all right, I give up. Yeah, I still have feeling. I'm tired of denying it. I'm tired of fighting this. I mean, he just, you know, things are. He doesn't have to work as hard with Pam. Well, it that's true. Settle, he just settles into something comfortable. They fall back into old habits. Yeah. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess we have different opinions on that. Well, um, I think it would be a bad thing if that is indeed the end of it. I certainly hope, because I still say I say this every week. I know, but. It would be nice to see why Karen would be worth um, being with. I That's hope true. we get to see that in the in the next few weeks. Maybe as she, maybe she decides to fight for Jim a little bit, or you know, maybe she'll redeem her, herself somehow and try to get Jim and Pam together, which would surely make uh, Jammer's head explode. You know, I don't um, see. That's the thing, though. I, I, it's interesting that you say that about Karen showing that she's worth his attention. Because let's be honest. I mean. Why is Jim worth her fighting for? Really, let's be truthful about this. No, I don't, that's true. I, I don't think they've set up the relationship enough. And this is one of the things that we kind of talked about the last few weeks is that, you know, they haven't really. There's no stakes in that relationship yet. They didn't spend a whole lot of time developing it. They never were, you know, remotely serious. Uh, we never got to see him really being involved or, you know, any. No, there's no they stakes. Uh, They're just there for each other. And, I mean, you know, she. She did see what Jim, what kind of guy Jim was with the whole hers chips thing. Well, yeah, that was a, a little, <laughs> too little, too long ago, man. I don't know. I don't. I, I just want to see this something more than just like I said, a rehash of the Katie relationship. Oh, now, now everyone wants to see Jim and Karen. Oh, they got to do something. <laughs> Before well, you know, people couldn't wait, hoping that. Karen Philippelli gets hit by a truck walking out of Dunder Mifflin. Well, let's face it, there's diehards. You have your diehard 
Team Pam people out there, but I think a lot of us, like I said, a lot of us, our heart, you know, lies with Jim and Pam, of course, but I I think that's the thing, is it, it, it has to mean something. I mean, you know, what's the point of that character if it's just like this little fling that is easily thrown off? No, I agree. Then it just becomes an exercise in... Like you said, last week, I think you said this on the episode, right, delaying it, just for the sake of delaying it. Yeah. And, you know, that's not good. Um, make us care. Make us make us really have to choose. And I think they were to a certain extent where you, if you actually have people running around saying that they want to be on Team Karen, I mean, you're doing something, I guess. No, I just got my damn t-shirt. <laughs> I know, my sweatpants with the Team Karen on the butt. I hope they don't get rid of her until we get a little more of this relationship kind of resolution or something. I agree. I don't think, I don't think she's going away. It would be a real shame um, if they did it that way. I don't think they will. And there's so many more episodes to go. Yeah, that's true. But like you said, though, um, based on what we've seen from the upcoming, you know, plot kind of summaries, and I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but, you know, the next two episodes at least are going to be focusing on Phyllis and her wedding to Bob Vance. So, you know, it seems like we're kind of stirring up another plot line mm-hmm. here. Yeah, no, that, oh man, that's so loaded. I mean, who's... Who's each other's date? And, uh, yeah, exactly. And then there's going to be drinking involved and, you know, drunk talk. It's going to be awesome. And all kinds of stuff. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that Oh, and it's from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? It's called the waste paper basket. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, didn't uh, want to get it? You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah, uh, that was a joke. All right, as you've likely already heard, The Office was one of several shows renewed for another season by NBC last week. NBC Entertainment President Kevin Riley made the announcement at last week's TV Critics Convention. Also getting the renewal thumbs up for next season were My Name is Earl, Law and Order SVU, and the breakout hit from this year, Heroes. Now. You know, Ian, as much as I find that good news, my mind boggles at what they're going to do in the whole other season now of The Office. i got to say, what the hell else can they do? Oh, great question. But uh, I guess we will see. And speaking of Kevin Riley, the NBC Entertainment president made a cameo appearance in last week's episode of The Office. He was the poor guy who was handed Dwight's three different resumes at the beginning in the job interview segment. And uh, I guess it has to be a good sign when an NBC exec is appearing on your show, right? And, of course, the office was renewed, so there you go. Uh, Maybe that's what the, uh, the next season will be. We'll just uh, Kevin Riley. <laughs> a lot of cameos yeah. from NBC yeah. executives. <laughs> hey, aren't you Jeff Zucker? You know, I actually yeah. sat through this whole thing and uh, to no avail, and everyone knows by now, but the office lost out on its two nominated categories at last week's Golden Globe Awards. Uh, Steve Carell was up for Best Actor in a TV Comedy and lost to 30 Rock's Alec Baldwin. Um, and Fugly Betty took home the Best Television Series Comedy Award. So, I I don't know. I still haven't really watched that show, so I, I can't hate on it, to tell you the truth, but still. I'm talking about Ugly Betty. I was really disappointed that... Uh, yeah, that The Office didn't win anything. And now they're no, up for a bunch just... of other awards, but... Uh, to me, it was difficult to to not get caught up in it. I mean, the, the speeches were nice. Uh, Salma Hayek bouncing up to the stage was nice. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. And, of course, you know, 
I guess you must have a heart of cold stone if you weren't touched by America Ferrara's little speech, but but still, you know, I I don't know. I wanted to see some office love, and I sat through that whole show. Yeah, I have no problem whatsoever with Alec Baldwin getting the Best Actor award. Yeah, I, I, he's he's pretty good, I guess. I don't know. I liked him as the page last week. He's in really good. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But anyway, on the subject of the Golden Globes, uh, I noticed. I know I noticed this, and maybe you did too. There was uh, several know. celebrities wearing blue puzzle piece lapel pins uh, during the ceremony, including Steve Carell. Uh, what were the pins for? Well, the pin is a show of support for Autism Speaks, which raises money for autism awareness and research. And if you're interested, you can buy one of the pins for yourself uh, for a contribution of ten dollars, and that is at AutismSpeaks.org. In very tangentially related news, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be joining Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway in the upcoming remake of Get Smart. According to Variety, The Rock will play a new character called Agent 23, and Terrence Stamp, perhaps best known as General Zod or one of the queens of the desert, has also signed on to play as, quote-unquote, the evil leader. In other office movie-related news... And emo news, I guess. Not, I shouldn't say that, but Def Cab for Cutie frontman Ben Gibbard is going to make his big screen day acting debut in John Krasinski's adaptation of Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Gibbard will join Bobby Cannavale, Mila Kunis from that 70s show, and of course Karen Rashida Jones in the adaptation of David Foster Wallace's short story collection. So, interested again to see how that turns out. And if you forgot over the weekend, wish a happy belated birthday to Rain Wilson. He turned 39 on January 20th. Well, next episode, Ian, and it's going to kind of blow your mind, but the next episode is entitled Ben Franklin, and it's going to air on February 1st, so we have an off week this week. Uh, Acting on bad advice from his friend Todd Packer. Is there any other kind of advice from Todd Packer? Michael brings two adult performers into the office, a stripper and someone playing Ben Franklin in honor of Phyllis's wedding shower. Meanwhile, Karen confronts Pam about her past with Jim. So there you go. Cat fight. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. All right, emails, and this comes from Prison Walt, who says, Do you guys think you could tone the language down a bit? I love playing the podcast loud, and I've had several close calls with my mom, almost hearing, no, I'm not a burnout living with his mom. I'm just a 15-year-old kid. Well, Prison Walt, I'm sorry. The, I hope you didn't get in trouble because we kind of busted out a few F-bombs at the beginning of the episode here. I don't know, Ian. We try to be pretty PG-13 with our language, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. You know, once in a while it slips out. I know. Once Prison in a while. <laughs> we'll see what the we can do, Okay. <laughs> You know, sometimes we get really heated when we talk about uh, producers' cuts and stuff, and the words just come out. All right, we got an email from Karen, who says, I'm in the middle of listening to your podcast about Back From Vacation, and I have to get my thoughts about the Pam-Jim-Karen triangle out there to you. 
Obviously, you are not a girl who's ever been in love with her best friend. That's true. Pam's actions are completely true to life. She wants to be able to help Jim and feel like she's important to him, hence listening to his girl problems and giving advice. And although she's in love with him, she is vehemently trying to deny it. What you are witnessing is the utter confusion that Pam is feeling, and in my opinion, is completely real and heartbreaking. I agree. Uh, you know, I can understand it to a certain degree, even though I am not a girl who's in love with my best friend. Um, I mean, I've had other office sort of relationships that were sort of one-sided, uh, and I never said anything, of course. So there you go. This next email comes from Blake who says, in the Back from Vacation episode discussion, you questioned whether Jim and Pam's behavior was realistic. I think the important thing is to think about the situation, not from our perspective, the perspective of the viewer who's seen the whole story, but instead from the perspective of Jim and Pam themselves. From Jim's viewpoint, Pam is the girl who broke his heart, told him she just wanted to be friends. He was hurt so badly he had to get out of town and has been forcing himself to move on ever since. From Pam's viewpoint, Jim is the one that got away, she realizes she made a mistake, but she can't say anything because, as far as she can tell, he has moved on, and it's eating away at her so much that she can't face it. So is this logical behavior? Of course not, but is it realistic? Absolutely. Well, Blake, again, I mean, I agree with you that uh, it's easier said than done to just say your feelings and lay them on the table, but um, Halpert made the first move in this episode, so maybe we'll get a little more action Coming up, uh, that's all going to do it for us this week, folks. Uh, join us in about two weeks for episode 15, Ben Franklin. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to twsspodcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at thatswhatshesaid.libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. And come on over, man. We have a pretty good discussion going there when I'm not deleting the threads that people have commented on. Um, I know. Sorry about that. But uh, come on over and join us. You're always welcome. No problems at all. Uh, we're, you know, same kind of... We got a little core group of people there. We get new people every once in a while. So let your voice be heard. Tell us how stupid we are. Whatever. Yeah, um, we had a great discussion about um, oh, you know, whether Jim went to college or not. Oh, there you go. That wasn't in the episode at all. Uh, see if you're missing quality, quality material. Um, otherwise, you know, I mean, if you want to send us an email, send us an audio clip, uh, 30 seconds to a minute long audio clip, feel free. And also, please, if you can, leave positive feedback for us on iTunes. Um, we're up to like 60 reviews now on iTunes, Ian, and that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, anyone that has an account with iTunes and, and has not left a review, and if you like the show, please do so. Like I said, it... Uh, it brings us to people's attention. Uh, it points us out. You know, people are choosing uh, whether or not to listen to us. Uh, having a lot of reviews really helps, I think, that person be swayed over to, uh, to giving us a shot. And Ian, by the yes. way, uh, someone this week was hot, hot, hot. That's what I hear. I know. If, if you didn't catch it on the blog page, uh, I want to thank you that we were listed. Uh, that's what she said is officially listed on iTunes front page in the podcast section in the what's hot category so uh you're smoking my friend oh no really thanks to to the listeners to people who leave the positive feedback everyone who's downloading the show i mean exactly awesome we've uh, we've seen a good kind of bump in numbers the last week or two and uh you know it's 
warm in our hearts, and we really appreciate it. So thanks a lot, and keep leaving that feedback if you get a chance. Uh, music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And I think I shall give Michael the last word this week. It takes a big man to admit his mistake, and that's what I did. The important thing is I learned something. I don't want somebody sucking up to me because they think I am going to help their career. I want them sucking up to me because they genuinely love me. It's not funny! In fact, it's pretty freaking unfunny! Yes!